Okay, here we go. All right, we're in a series called The Gathering Storm. I'm trying to address the challenges that face households of religious Jews and Christians at the present time. Not the end time, the present time. Last week I explained the historical rise of secularism that challenged biblical revelation and the narrative of the scriptures. And this included a major challenge that came from the behavioral sciences where the theory of creation, theology of creation, was replaced with the theory of evolution, where the theology of sin was replaced with the theories of mental illness, and where the uh, biblical promise of uh, the kingdom to come was replaced with a theory of utopianism and social justice that man can achieve on his own without God. And I said that what happened as secular arose in the, 18, in the modern era, uh, there was a split in Judaism and Christianity. It was three ways kind of a split. One was the split of those who said, we're not coming into modernity. We'll just stay in a pre-modern kind of mindset. We won't take secularism, and we won't take science, and we won't take any of that. And we end up with people like the Amish and the ultra-Orthodox, uh, both in Judaism and Christianity. Within, then, the modern Christians and Jews, you got a split in that there were those who went in the direction of acceptance of secularism, integrating that secularism into the faith, and you got liberal theology in Reformed Judaism and in the denominations, mostly the mainline denominations of Christianity. And then another group pulled away. They didn't completely reject secularism. They kind of compartmentalized it so that you kind of had a religious life and a... And a uh, secular life, and that really was conservative theology, and we find that among many evangelicals. Though as time has gone on, we're beginning to see a number of uh, people move in the other directions as well. In other words, that split wasn't a permanent thing. Now that's oversimplified, but I think it gives you some way of looking at the scattering of religious people in this kind of framework. Now, I ended up by saying that experience is critical to the development of worldview and identities within those groups. And so today what I want to do is talk about race and ethnicity. And again, this is an important aspect. It's going to feel like a classroom more than it's going to feel like a sermon, but I, I guarantee you there's a biblical basis here for what I'm talking about. The terms race and ethnicity are concepts that have undergone several changes. The most significant of those is the change in the concept of race that happened in modernity and then more recently in the postmodern uh, era. The word race in that sense doesn't exist in the pre-modern world and that's a problem because the postmodern world now is trying to address race differently than the modern world did, and that brings us to what's called critical race theory, which I'll talk more about next time. The Bible, however, is written from a pre-modern context. Its concepts of people groups, its concepts uh, of what today we call races and ethnicities, 
uh, are using categories and characteristics that are different between the pre-modern and the modern era. It's really important for our children and our converts to understand this because we have a tendency to speak using the modern terms or translating the Bible into modern terms that the definitions the Bible is using are not the definitions that we're using. Once you've done that, you've already lost the argument because you're agreeing to a definition that may not fit the biblical framework. So, we're going to start with people groups in the Bible and the ancient world. This is the part that will feel like the sermon part. The biblical theology of creation claims that God made mankind in his image. The special creation of Adam and then Eve, male and female, which I'll talk about later in this series when we talk about gender and sexuality, was understood as a single humanity. We know this by reading the scriptures, but there's a clear statement in Acts 17.26. You don't need to turn to it, I'm not going to be there that long. Paul is speaking at Mars Hill at the Areopagus, and he is speaking to them about the unknown God. You know that story. In that passage, he says that God made from one every nation of mankind that lives on the earth, appointing their times and the boundaries of their habitations. What is Paul saying? Other than we all came from Adam, he's saying that the that God from this one humanity created the nations. And so to look at that, we have to look at Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. This is a passage that is um, one of the reasons that I became an anthropologist. The biblical uh, text with the origin of man and the splitting of the cultures and languages and all that fascinated me. I read ancient myths and all this stuff. When I read the Bible, not coming out of a Christian home, when I read the Bible, I thought this is really uh, answers these important questions. And so uh, the field of anthropology allowed me to pursue that a little further. So here's what the scripture says in Genesis 11. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach to heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, a reputation. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have the same language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So let us go down and confuse their languages, so they, they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Now this text is really important because after the flood, when the geology has changed, 
God told Noah and his sons and his and their wives to multiply, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They were supposed to develop humanity over all the earth because part of the goal of humanity was to have stewardship over the earth and the animals and all of those things. Instead, this group of people who all spoke the same, thought the same, had a unity, we are the world kind of thing, they said, we're going to build a city, we'll build a tower to, to heaven, and we'll stay here because this will keep us from being scattered. We have our purpose, we're not interested in God's purpose. So, God did divide and conquer. And what he did was he confounded the languages. That's why we speak these confounded languages. And the problem is that once you can't speak to someone because they're speaking a different language, you have a tendency to think there's something strange about them. And you kind of separate yourself. So these groups separated and then scattered over the earth. And in the process of that, there would be physical adaptation to the environmental differences that were there. That would change skin color and eye color and hair texture and those kind of things. But basically, the people were the same. They had come from one. And in that, God developed the nations. Now the word nation there is goyim. The idea of the nations, uh, the, uh, the, what we call Gentiles, but it, it's, that word isn't in the Older Testament. The Hebrew word is, is goyim, meaning the nations, the, the peoples of the earth, tribes, kindreds, nations, and tongues. In the process of creating them, Paul tells us that he set their times and he set their boundaries of their habitations in that context. Now, in the New Testament... The word for these groups is ethnos. We get our word ethnic from that. Uh, what it is translated more often than not in, the, in many New Testaments is the word Gentile. So I want you to understand that when you see the word nations or you see the word Gentile, uh, you're really talking about something that is tied to the word ethnicity. In that framework. There is no word in the same sense for the idea of race. Before I talk about that, I want you to notice something. And I've said this before, so this shouldn't be new to you. God creates the nations. They go out and they are, as Paul says, without hope and without God in the world. So what do they do? They start making idols. They start doing all kinds of things that Paul talks about in the, in the book of Romans. They, they have to find their own way of life. And they speculate as to what the gods are like, and they create that way of life. And then God takes one person, Avram, and he brings him in, and he says, I'm going to give you a son, I'm going to put you in a land, I'm going to create a people from you, and we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we then have the children of Israel, who at Sinai become a people of God, the chosen people of God, and they are chosen so that God will give them a culture. They don't create their own culture, and they're not going to do the culture that they came from. I don't want you walking like an Egyptian, right? And I don't want you walking like a Canaanite where I'm bringing you. You're going to be my people, and you're going to live the way I tell you. So, 
Israel is the one culture that God directly through his commandments and covenants creates the culture. Now why? Because they're to be a light to the nations so that their relationship with God will illuminate the nation's darkness so that they will turn from their darkness and worshiping beasts and trees and the creation rather than the creator and they will turn to come alongside Israel and be part of the people of God. So the Bible uses the word ethnicity and cultural differences, but it does not have a concept of race. So where does the concept of race as we know it come from? Well, it comes from the modern period. With the rise of secularism, challenging the theology of creation, comes the idea of evolution. Now that posits that all life came from some accident where inanimate material became animate, became living in some kind of microbial sense. And then through random processes, all kinds of changes took place that accidentally brought about all microscopic life, all animal life, all plant life, and ultimately human life. Without God and without purpose, only function. Okay. Now, as this theory becomes very, very popular, because Darwin comes up with the idea that it is the environment that selects four groups and other groups to survive or not survive, we end up with a process that includes genetic mutation and things like genetic drift and, and um, uh, flow. I'm not going to get into those. Uh, if you're interested in that, we can talk about it later. But ultimately, he comes up with a system and they, they develop a system that says, we evolved. And of course, this happens for evolutionists at two levels. One level is what we call macroevolution. That's the development of a species and a new uh, uh, type of animal or person. And the other one is microevolution, and that's simple changes that might happen, like we would expect with skin color changing and hair and that, but, but nothing else. But because this was biological, people began to treat these differences, these biological traits of skin color and hair texture and those kinds of things, as being significantly tied to this thing called race. Scientists now had a scientific and biological basis for human differences. And the concept made racism scientific and acceptable in the modern period. So as we get towards uh, the end of the 1800s, we're going to see uh, two examples of that. I'm going to tell you two examples. There are many more, but there are two. One from the field of anthropology and the other from eugenics. In anthropology, the belief was that if we have a biological connection between physiology and culture, okay, because you have to evolve both of those. Okay? You don't have Adam speaking right from the beginning. You have to go through all these processes. And what happens is some people get ahead and some people get behind. So they developed a system. It was called unilineal evolution. And the argument was that cultures go through evolution as well. 
And they are sometimes hindered by their biological differences. And therefore, we can put cultures into three categories with some subcategories. Savages, barbarians, and civilized people. And this was the scientific view in the late 1800s. And therefore, people with dark skin and nappy hair and low technology were savages. People like Asians who had language, but they didn't have proper writing because it wasn't alphanumeric, were barbarians. And then, of course, the Europeans were civilized. And so what you had was a basis for believing that the European or the white man had a burden to take care of these poor people. Now, another person in anthropology would rise up to challenge that. His name was Franz Boas, and he said, this is nonsense, and it's not science. That there is no difference in one group from another. Human beings are the same, and these are ephemeral differences, and the cultural differences are about their own unique particular history, culturally, not biologically. And so anthropology would fight to get rid of the concept of race. And if you read the early anthropologists in America in the 1900s, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to get rid of it. It was retained as a concept in psychology and in sociology. But anthro gave, gave it up. The other group was a group of people who said, now that we understand this, we can breed what we don't like out of people and breed into people what we do like. That's called eugenics. And the eugenics uh, group in Europe gave scientific basis to the notion that the Germans ultimately took that there were some people who were subhuman, like the Jews, and therefore could be experimented on and expunged. In America, it was different. Because of the history of slavery and other things, there was a push in the eugenics movement to begin to establish birth control, not allow interracial marriage because that would mess this up, and we need to push for abortion, and Planned Parenthood was specifically designed to reduce the black population in America. Now, most of this has been uh, ignored, and the state of our current education, most people don't hear about it. We have a whole new system, I'll talk about that next week, that's going on. So what begins to happen is we get a uh, push in the 50s with the civil rights movement and a push to get away from believing that there's a biological, racial issue related to character and content. That it, it's not about these ephemeral things, it's really about the individual person. So anthropology and civil rights movement attempted to remove racism from America. And by the 1950s and the 60s, it looked like race was on the run. We were finally going to get rid of it. There was still institutional and structural racism in uh, historical institutions, but that was being addressed, still being addressed. But new forces began to rise that were going to make us think about race differently, which is the current move going on. These are postmodern. I have to talk about that next week because I don't have time this time. And a new way of thinking about race. And that's really what critical race theory is about. So what's going on? 
trying to keep this clear. The Bible does not address race because race, as we have known it, is a result of secular evolutionary theories that are false. Here's the problem with the idea of race. It's not a biological reality. The genetic variability between blacks is greater than the variability between blacks and whites, so-called. If you think in terms of race, you can't help but become a racist. Because the minute you think that there is a race, you categorize people and you attribute things to them. And now we're, we're, we're in prejudice. We're prejudging a person based on phenotypic expression that, that doesn't have any meaning. I tell the diversity students all the time. You can't tell a thing by somebody's skin color, eye color, hair structure, or any of that. can't tell. You can suspect some things that might be related to their experience, but you don't know because you don't know them. You have to ask. You have to treat people as individuals. And that's not what race thinking does. Race thinking treats people as groups the Bible treats, knows that there are ethnic experiences that shape people. So be careful of these genetic things that tell you that you're, you know, you're Irish. It doesn't mean you're Irish. Irish is an ethnicity. Okay? We think racist because we've been taught to think racist. So while race does not actually exist, and it's unknown to the Bible, the social construct of race has been used by government, congregations, school systems, and other institutions to discriminate and harm people based on how they look. And that is an evil that has to be condemned, but it's not going to be fixed by thinking in terms of race. So it's important that we teach our children not to think in terms of race, but in terms of ethnicity. Ethnic groups are different because of their languages, because of their cultural ways of life and their experiences. And if you were born to a group and they pick you up and drop you in another group, you're not part of that group because you have no experiences from that group. They're not carried in the genes. Your experiences are going to be in this group. And that's why America is such an odd duck. Because a person becomes an American by coming in here. You don't become French. You can become a French citizen, but you won't be French. So there's a difference in this that we have to understand, particularly as we're moving in identity to where I don't have an identity based on my culture and my experience. I have a... I have a Identity based on who I identify with, who I want to be. And we'll talk about that both in terms of ethnicity and sexual content. So we have to teach our kids not to think in terms of race. Use ethnicity. It's more compatible with the biblical categories, which I'll talk more about next week when we look at, at that critical race theory and ethnicity. Now, I'm trying to lay a foundation here. Again, I hope our discussions will be more fruitful, but I don't want to record those. So let's go to the Lord in prayer.